Herb's series titled Everyday Faith, which going into the summer I think is a perfect thing that we need to hear. Everyday Faith. But today we are uh, pausing that series, even though we just kicked it off, because we do love our fathers here. And we want to celebrate them this morning. And so uh, we're going to be hearing uh, from Pastor Elfin a little bit about Father's Day. Uh, So if you could, open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. And then we're going to be skipping ahead to verse 22 and reading through verse 25. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 12 to 17 then 22 through 25. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, feel free to look here behind me or on one of the screens around you. This is what God's Word says. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. The custom of the priests with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand, and he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if the man said to him, Let them burn the fat first, and then take as much as you wish, he would say, No, you must give it to me now, and if not, I will take it by force. Thus the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. Then in verse 22, Now Eli was very old, and he kept hearing that all his sons were doing to Israel, how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance to the tent of meeting. And he said to them, Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all these people. No, my sons, it is not good report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord that they be put to death. You may take a seat, and I'm now going to have... They do. Kids grow up. Initially, they think that dad can fix anything, heal any hurt, protect them from any harm. They idolize dad. Little boys want to grow up to be just like him. But then as they grow up, they see that dad has flaws that he's human, began to change their mind. I I love the quote by Mark Twain. He said, when I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant, I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much the old man had learned in seven years. Well, this time on Father's Day, I, I want to just to pray for our fathers. If you guys would stand up, fathers, if you'd stand up, I want to pray for you. Our Father in heaven, Father, we thank you so much, first, that you are our heavenly Father. We pray for our fathers, Father, that you would just continually work in our hearts and lives. Father, you say in Malachi 4, 6, that you will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and their children's hearts to their fathers. And so we ask, Lord, that you would continually be working in our hearts and our lives, Father, in such a way, Lord, that that we seek to serve you and to live for you. Oh, Father, we pray that our children might see Christ in us. Lord, more and more may we be like you. And we pray this in our Father's name. Amen.
Thank you. You may be seated. Well, I entitled my sermon, Homework. We think about homework, we think about our kids doing homework. A little different approach here. In order to, for a home to work, it takes a lot of work for mom and dad, for moms and dads and fathers as they work together. Now, on this Father's Day, I want us to look at the life of Eli, the high priest of Israel. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, if you will, we'll, we'll be there. Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 2. Eli was high priest over Israel during that time period when there was no king and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And some of the heroes in that time period were very flawed. I think of Samson and Eli himself. But let's pray and ask for our Father in Heaven's direction. Our Father, we thank you so much for your grace in our lives. We thank you, Father, for our fathers. We thank you, Father, for those men who have stood in for fathers at times in our lives. We thank you for your word, Father, that it is a standard for our lives. And, Father, that we can learn so much. So we ask, Lord, that you would speak through me. Father, that you give us hearts open to hear your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Eli was a priest and judge over Israel, but he's a man whose inconsistencies and flaws, failures, ultimately stained his testimony, ruined his legacy, and literally brought his family to destruction. His life was a tragic one. And some of you might say, well, this is Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. What are you doing giving, bringing something about a father who was not the most positive? I think that we can learn so much, not just as fathers, but we can learn from, from negative examples. He lived and worked as a high priest but he failed to take care of home. Again, it takes work at home to make home work. Being a high priest was a noble job. The high priest was second in command only to the king. And when Eli lived and served, there was no king. And so he was both priest and judge. His job was to share the word of God with the people and to share problems of the people with God. He was there to oversee the sacrifices. Yet, he was a man who, which was typical, turned his job over to his sons. And they were not what they should have been. I think often when we look at 1 Samuel, we, I still think as a kid, I remember hearing stories from 1 Samuel about Samuel, that little boy whose mom prayed for him. And she dedicated him and brought him to Eli. And we remember the story of little Samuel and his mom making this little priest wardrobe for him and how Eli trained him, but 
Eli was kind of in the background, not so much the key person. My first impression of Eli was that he was a pretty good man. I knew he had two sons who were scoundrels. But he seemed to have some good qualities. In his long life, we don't see any kind of record of appalling sin. He didn't drink too much. He didn't lie or swear. He never divorced his wife. He never committed adultery or abused his kids. Or at least Scripture doesn't say that he did. He wasn't a reprobate. And yet, despite all those good things, there were character flaws in his life. We need to remember those. Eli was much like Lot, if you remember him and Samson. Redeemed men, men who were believers in Jehovah, yet behaving badly. He seems to have treated young Samuel very well. There was no jealousy. Eli was nothing like King Saul, if you remember King Saul, when it became very clear that King David would be his successor, we'll see that Eli had a deep love for the ark of God, which symbolized God's presence. He seemed to be a good man, and yet Eli failed miserably, both as a father and as a priest. We introduced to Eli's sons in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 12. And it says, Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. This introduction leaves little imagination, does it? Very strong condemnation. The Amplified Bible says, The sons of Eli were worthless, dishonorable, unprincipled men. They did not know nor respect the Lord. We see the wickedness of Eli's sons in three different ways. In the first one, is how they treated the offerings brought to the Lord for sacrifice. Now, the law of Moses was very clear that the priest would receive food, to receive the meat from the sacrifices offered, that they offered. And there were very specific portions to be given to them. Deuteronomy 18, verse 3 says that the priest's share of a bull or a sheep was a shoulder, the internal organs, and the meat from the head. I'm not sure I'd want the meat from the head. But that's what they're supposed to get. But the sons decided that they wanted more choice parts of the meat. And so we see in verses 13 and 14 that when any man came to them to offer a sacrifice, the priest had this servant who would come and when the meat was boiling in a big pot, he would stick in a three-pronged fork. And all the meat that came up from this fork was what they took. But he didn't stop there. Secondly, they demanded even the fat portions which were dedicated to the Lord. Verses 15 and 16, we read that the servant demanded raw meat before it had been boiled so it could be used for roasting. You see how they're, they're wanting the best for themselves? They want to roast this meat, and so they want it before it's boiled. 
But if any man offering his sacrifice said no, or said wait until it's boiled, they would threaten, they would intimidate and say, no, give it to me now. Give it to him now or I'll take it by force. Place yourself in the hands or in the, in the place of the Israelites coming before the Lord to offer sacrifice and see this rude and irreverent attitude toward their offerings. They saw the meat that was allotted to them, taken by their priest, the supposed man of God. Verse 17 gives a crushing charge from the Lord. It says, The sin of these young men was very great in the sight of God, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. The contempt of these two sons, though, went beyond even those two things. We see, thirdly, that in verse 22, it says that when Eli was old, but he was aware of what his sons were doing to the people of Israel. He knew that his sons were seducing the young women who assisted at the entrance of the tabernacle. We see in verses 23 and 24 that Eli finally rebukes his sons, says, I'm hearing bad reports from all the people about the wicked things you're doing. Why do you keep on sinning? You must stop. You must stop, my sons. If one sins against another person, God can mediate for the guilty party. But if someone sins against God, who can intercede? But it says, but Eli's sons would not listen to their father. Again, the sins of these young men had to have had a horrible effect on the Israelites, on their spiritual life, and on the moral character of the nation. So you may ask, didn't Eli, did he correct his sons? I think the answer clearly is no, not at all. He confronted them. But in fact, he said, "Mm, now boys, you shouldn't be doing these things. People are talking. That's basically what he said. A little bit too late, he chose not to restrain his sons. He should have had them removed from their positions as priests. In verse 29, we read that Eli not only tolerated his son's sin, but also participated in it by eating the portion of the sacrifice that was intended for the Lord. This is the high priest partaking with his son's sin. So in verse 29, we see that a man of God came to Eli with a rebuke from the Lord. Thus says the Lord, Why do you scorn my sacrifices and offerings? Why do you give your sons more honor than you give me? For you and they have become fat from the best offerings of my people, Israel. In verses following in 30 through 35, the Lord declares, Those who honor me I will honor, but those who despise me will be disdained. And all the descendants of your household 
shall die by the sword. And that this shall come upon your two sons, both of them shall die on the same day. And I'll raise up for myself a faithful priest. So very clear here from those words that Eli despised God. He despised God. He was also an unfaithful priest. And you may say, well, how did he despise? Well, how was he unfaithful? And both questions find their answer in a common problem. Eli was a pastor father. Eli was a pastor father. I think in our culture, if we were to check around with counselors, probably a number one issue for us as fathers is being passive. It's being passive. Speaking of Eli, God said in chapter 3, verse 13, I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin that he knew. His sons blasphemed God, and he failed to restrain him or them. So we see even there so very clearly that passiveness. We see the fulfillment of this judgment in in chapter 4, Israel went to war against the Philistines. In the first battle they had, they lost 4,000 men. So they said, let's go back and regroup. And went back in with the Ark of the Covenant, with Eli's sons carrying that, leading that. It says that over 30,000 troops died in that battle. The Ark was captured and Eli's two sons died. A messenger came back to Shiloh where Eli was reporting. And he said to Eli, There's been great defeat of Israel, and your two sons are dead. And the Ark of the Covenant has been captured. And as soon as Eli heard the mention of the Ark being in the hands of the pagans, it says that, he fell over backwards from his seat by the side of the road. His neck was broken, and he died. Now, Eli, surely like any father, would have been devastated at the loss of two sons who died in one day. And yet it seems clear that Eli was more shocked by the news that the ark had fallen into the wrong hands. I couldn't help but think of King David, who was devastated when his son Absalom died. And despite all the heartache that Absalom caused King David, he was brokenhearted. When all that we can see and detect of Eli, we see that he loved the Lord, he loved the ark. It's tragic that Eli permitted his character flaws to color his life so that the things about him stand out today more than maybe his faithfulness over the years. Because he was passive, he brought judgment on not only on himself but on his sons. As I mentioned earlier, it damaged his testimony. It damaged his legacy and it literally brought his family to a ruin. 
no matter what we say, whether he was a good man or he was a good man part of his life, we can certainly say that he definitely did not have the backbone to stand up to his sons and say, we're not going to tolerate this in our house. We're not going to tolerate this in the tabernacle. Get out. Get out. He didn't do that. Men, whether you're a young man who yet not even married, but will be a father one day, those of us who were fathers, fathers maybe of young kids or fathers who were much older, being passive toward the things of God will damage you and your children. You may ask, well, what exactly does it mean to be passive? First, think about it. This hits so hard for me as a pastor. He was immersed in religion. He literally worked at the tabernacle. He literally lived in the tabernacle. But the reality of his walk with God was missing. Eli was tolerant of personal sins, family sins, but he was harsh on others. If you remember the story of of Hannah when she wanted this child so badly and she went to the to the temple and she cried out to God and Eli thought that she was drunk. Do you remember? And he scolded her because she looked like she was drunk at the door of the tabernacle. But when his own sons were committing adultery at the door of the tabernacle, he did nothing. It wasn't until the worshipers began to protest to Eli that finally he came out with his, fimble, his very feeble, now boys, you shouldn't be doing that. Whereas the son's corrupt practices of seizing the sacrifices and eating the best parts, parts that should have been offered to God, Eli knew that he shouldn't have eaten those parts. But someone said he loved prime rib. We ourselves sometimes love prime rib, and we are tempted to move in that direction. Secondly, passiveness means failing to shepherd our family. Eli's boys were grown. Granted, there are those of us who have grown sons. I've got grown sons. I can't talk to my sons who are grown like a first grader. But each of us who have sons and daughters who are grown, we can go to our sons and daughters and talk with them and confront them with their sin. Maybe Eli shrugged his shoulders and said, they're adults, they're men, what can I do? But God held him accountable. He should have taken charge and said, sons, either do it God's way or hit the highway. Men, if we don't assume responsibility for shepherding our own family, God will hold us accountable. If that scares you, good, it should. It should. And to be honest with you, as I read, I changed my whole sermon. Because as I was reading 
I sensed that this is the direction that I felt like God was leading us. I, I don't want to scare you in, in, in a bad sense, but I want to scare you in a good sense. Maybe you're thinking, what should you do? Maybe you're saying, I want to begin shepherding my family, but I don't know how. I don't know what to do. But first of all, don't play the religion game. Don't play church. Your kids will know it. They know when you come to church, you live differently during the week. Don't wiggle out of your responsibilities. Beyond that, that our text gives us full aspects of shepherding your family first. Lead your children to personal faith in Jesus Christ. Lead your kids to faith in Jesus Christ. Eli's sons did not know the Lord. They, they literally grew up in the tabernacle. They, they grew up all around. And yet, they didn't know the Lord. Secondly, teach your children the ways of God. Again, Eli and his kids were there, but he failed to teach them the meaning and the need for the sacrifices and the offerings. And so they disobeyed God and disregarded the rebukes of God's people. Our children need to know their consequences to, our, to their sin. Let me say that one more time. Our kids, just as we, need to know there are consequences to our sin, to our disobedience. They need to know, need to see Christ modeled in the home. It doesn't mean that we as fathers and mothers are going to be perfect. I guarantee you, each father here today, we're so aware that we fall short. And yet our heart desire is to walk in such a way that our kids and others see Christ in us. We're not to live for ourselves or indulge for ourselves, but to serve others. And third, first is lead them to Christ. Second is teach them God's ways. Third, teach them to respect God and His and His things. You know, I never want my children to hear me joke about the Lord, about the Word of God. But at the same time, I want them to be able to feel like they can come home and laugh and enjoy life. Well, finally, fourth, correct your children when they need it. Correct your children when they need it. Eli, by the time he died, was 98 years old. So his sons were probably 40 or 50 years old, at least. Again, parents can't correct their adult children, but we can confront, and we can talk, and we can share with them. Proverbs 29:17 says that to discipline your son, and he will give you rest. He will give you delight in your heart. Proverbs 13, 24 says, Those who spare the rod of discipline hate their children. And those who love their children care enough to discipline them. And the issue of physical spankings in our culture is a big red flag because of physical abuse, and culture has gone so much against it. And I want to, and I've said this over and over before, no child should ever be spanked 
when the mom or dad is angry. I've shared before with you that Chris and I spanked our sons until they run five or six years old. And even during those years and afterwards, there are other ways that we can use to discipline our children. It's very clear that the rod spanking is to be used. Again, I can't help, as I think of Eli, to think of King David. He failed to discipline his children. He failed as a father in so many ways. In 1 Kings chapter 1, says that King David had never disciplined his children at any time. Even by asking, why are you doing this? Of course, their sins included treachery, murder, rape, treason. Perhaps you see yourself in this analysis of a passive father, and maybe you're thinking it's too late. Your children are grown But by God's grace, it's not too late to seek forgiveness for being passive and to actively seek to influence your children, and not just your children, but your grandchildren. From this moment on, will you choose to follow the Lord fervently and actively? Or will someone look back on your life or my life and say, why didn't Ralph do his homework? Why didn't he do his homework? What a sobering reminder this is to all of us. And I confess, when I study this man's life, I'm brought face to face with my own character flaws. I can't begin to tell you how where I am of where I fall short. But I'm reminded, I'm reminded that any life that's not lived in total dependence on the Lord, on the grace of the Lord, has the potential of turning out like this. The life of a high priest, as with Eli, the life of a pastor like myself, the life of an elder or of a deacon, the life of a man or a woman who loves the Lord Jesus Christ. We all have that potential of allowing our proneness to sin, to dominate, and to color our life. We desperately need the grace of God to become like Eli. We ought to all tremble at the thought, and all of us ought to turn to God and plead for His grace in our lives, because it is very much available for us. Well, Lamentations, chapter 3, is a powerful verse that I love so much. Verses 19 and 20 says, I remember my afflictions and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall, and my soul continues to remember it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They knew every morning, great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, and therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait on him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait patiently for the salvation of the Lord. This time I'd like for the 
worship team to come up and lead us in a song. As they come, I pray for us. Our Father in heaven.